When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I just am trying to write for, first of all, my inner child, my child, what I needed when I was a kid that wasn't there. The representation wasn't there. I'm writing for future kids to walk into self-love long before I did. And then I write towards our future. I write towards a better world. Like, what do we need in our world? What needs to exist? Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. Today's magical guest is Nyasha Williams, a highly accomplished individual known for her impactful work as an author, creator, and activist. Her efforts to decolonize literature, minds, and spiritual practices have not gone unnoticed as she continues to inspire and educate individuals one day at a time. Nyasha is the author of multiple picture books, including Ally Baby Can Be Anti-Racist and Keep Dreaming Black Child. With a unique background that encompasses living intermittently between the United States and South Africa, she has gained a diverse and valuable perspective that informs her work towards social justice and decolonizing practices. Nyasha's unwavering dedication to her community and passion for creative expression has made her a valuable contributor to the literary world. She currently resides in Colorado with her husband. Before I share our enlightening conversation, here's the synopsis for Ally Baby Can Be Anti-Racist and Keep Dreaming, Black Child. Ally Baby Can Books introduce allyship to tiny changemakers, perfect for shared reading with an adult. Ally Baby Can Be Anti-Racist models how young kids can stand up for members of the BIPOC community in the fight against systemic racism. Extensive back matter includes important guidelines for allyship, a kid-friendly reading list, and other helpful resources for baby and you. Keep Dreaming, Black Child is an inspirational picture book for BIPOC children about the power of big dreams for their future selves, their communities, and the larger world. Keep Dreaming, Black Child is an inspirational picture book for BIPOC children about the power of big dreams for their future selves, their communities, and the larger world. Niasha Williams' picture book is a moving and powerful invitation to BIPOC children to fully explore their dreams for the future. Dreams provide purpose and meaning. They are ideas born of love. They take time to sprout and can sometimes be clouded by the doubts of others. But with patience and discipline, 
we can rely on our visions for a better world by following our dreams. Interspersed with explanations of what dreams are and why they are important are affirmations that offer precise ideas for ways our dreams can affect change. Encouraging readers to reach for the stars and embrace others for what they are or wish to be. Keep Dreaming Black Child reminds children of the power of hope. Hi, Miasha. Welcome to the Growing Readers Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, it's an absolute pleasure. So just so listeners know that we made a connection through the SCBWI, the Rocky Mountain chapter, and you were so kind because I'm working on a project and you were so kind to offer me some guidance. And when I got to know you, I knew that I needed to have you on the show. I want to jump right into like the meat and potatoes but I was like, I needed us, we needed to just have a fun question first. So okay. I just thought maybe you could share two truths and, you know, one false thing about yourself. And I'll see if I can guess it. <laughs> Let's see. I did synchronized swimming. I have 10 tattoos and I have, um, this is hard. I'm trying to think of it. <laughs> I put you on the spot. <laughs> and I have, I've had about three different careers at this point. Okay. Hmm. I am going to guess that while you might have a tattoo, you don't have 10. I have, yeah, I have seven, so. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, and seven's my <laughs> lucky number. I don't know. I just looked at you and I was like, I feel like you were a synchronized swimmer and I don't know why, but I just, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, I, let's start talking about what you're here for today. So I'm going to jump right in by asking you an important question. So okay. On the homepage of your website, it says yeah. that you are working to change the narrative, that mm -hmm. you're working to decolonize literature. So I want to know when this became your mission. And have you always considered yourself a change maker? Good question. So I will say I really started noticing issues when I was in the classroom. So I was teaching kindergarten in Baltimore. Um, I got into teaching through an alternative teaching program. And that kind of led me to realize that my kids weren't being represented in the curriculum that I was expected to teach. And so through all of that, I kind of came around to being like, something's got to change. I've got to do something different. So I started talking to some other teachers and we started talking and ideas were flowing, but like no one was really like really stepping into the commitment of building something yet. So kind of behind the scenes in my own space, I started just kind of playing around. Like I didn't even know what a manuscript kind of layout looks like, but I just started putting some stuff on paper writing and then also just kind of getting some things on my computer. Um, and that's where the two manuscripts, children's book that I self-published. So writing, what's the commotion in the ocean? And then I, for me, I started writing those books and I didn't really know where they were going to go, but I started during that time. And so they just kind of sat for a while. And then I transitioned to Colorado and, you know, teaching is a lot. Like anyone who's been in the classroom knows it takes a lot out of you. Trying to build like something that's in your heart or trying to do things outside of teaching, honestly, 
most people don't have that space to give all the time because it just takes so much out of you giving into your classroom. And so eventually there was a point where I just heard the call, all right, step into this first children's book. And I didn't have the funds. So my logic was, let me Kickstarter this. Let me crowdfund this first book. And that's where things kind of kicked off. I have always considered myself a Black mermaid. Like I like I said, synchronized swimming. I did diving. I was on swim team. I love water. Water is the space. I mean, my mom jokes all the time when I was a kid and we would go to those like little swim classes with your mom and you. My mom jokes how I would just like get out of the pool and then run to the front of the line every time and like try and be in front of everyone because I just wanted to get back in the water. So I love water. So Starting with a book about the ocean felt great to put out first. I care about our water spaces. I care about our oceans. Very much identify as an eco-activist. And so that for me was a great place to kick off. And what better person to voice that message to kids than a mermaid? And we need a Black mermaid, right? So here we are. Um, And so those illustrations went viral because I think people hadn't really seen something like that. And that's how I got connected with my literary agents. And it kind of went from there. But I just am trying to write for, first of all, my inner child, my child, what I needed when I was a kid that wasn't there, the representation wasn't there. I'm writing for future kids to walk into self-love long before I did. And then I write towards our future. I write towards a better world. Like, what do we need in our world? What needs to exist? And so that is where my writing is centered. You kind of touched on this. But when you sit down to write a book for children, what is your driving force as in what do you feel in your soul when you sit down to write for children? Yeah, I think any writing, I really try to build ancestral connection with it. I've always felt like it's not just me writing. Like, yes, I have this passion and I hear this coursing through my body, but I think that any ancestor that isn't, here's what I'm trying to do and is in alignment with that, who maybe didn't get a chance. Like if they were out on the plantation and did not get that space to be able to write, they're able to come through me now and we're able to write for this future and this generation right now. So I feel like when I write, yes, I'm speaking what's in my heart, but I feel like it goes beyond me. It's like this extended ancestral voice in terms of my writing. I kind of had a full body reaction to you saying (laughs) that. My arms went all tingly. Okay, well, what are some of the hurdles or roadblocks you've had to face during your journey to becoming a published author? Yeah, I think challenges are funds. I think financials are always hard. I think I am one of those people that like, I'm one of those people, I think visuals make like such a huge impact in any way. So a lot of times I like try to have my proposals that go to publishers have sample illustrations of what I'm trying to do. And that costs funds because I want to be able to pay illustrators correctly for the work. And that's not really a traditional route to go. Most people say you're not allowed to pick the illustrator. You're not allowed to come with those. I have not followed any of those rules and I've had great success. So I feel like people need to listen to what they need to be doing in the way they're moving in the publishing world. So that's one example um, is getting those sample illustrations. I know that I'm not alone in this. You know this. Editing is expensive. Getting projects edited before they're ready to be given to your literary agents before they go into the publisher. I have been blessed that I've had some like real rough manuscripts that like my editors have still, I mean, my literary agents have still pushed forward and editors have still picked them up, but that's not always the case. And again, the bigger the project, like so children's books are one thing, but I think once you start going into higher realms, which is kind of some realms I'm trying to push 
transition to now, you absolutely have to have things edited and cleaned up, like multiple rounds of going through before you're ready to take it to that next step. Well, what are your thoughts on whether having a big ego helps or hurts writers? Hmm. I mean, I think confidence matters. I think that when you're moving as a creative, I think that especially in today's world and with social media, like it's not just about you writing the book and getting it, even if you get it picked up. It's like you have to talk about the book. You are going to sell the product the best, right? Like you're going to give the message of why it needs to exist in the world to people better than anyone else. And so having confidence is important. So we're in Leo season. I'm going to bring it up. I am a Leo rising. And so it's like, Leo is a little bit cocky. I think they do have ego, but I also think that they walk in their power really confidently. I was like, I think there's this level of ego where you're so egotistical, you're not willing to learn and you think you know it at all. And I think that's where things get really problematic. But I think ego in the confidence of yourself and what you can bring into the world and what you are bringing forth into the world is a different kind of ego that I think that is something that you're going to need if you're going to be able to showcase your product to the best of your ability. The energy that you put into the world is typically the energy that comes back to you as well. And so if you sort of teeter totter, then I feel like people pick up on that energy and then maybe they're not sure about the work that you're putting forward. So I, I love that response. I will I will add to that too. I do think that ego also plays in with in terms of like I think you need to check your ego with other people. I think your ego needs to be within yourself. I think that if you're egotistical in terms of comparing yourself to people, I think that can be problematic too. I think that we all have something to give. I think that everyone brings something different to the table. I think that, you know, the reason why, again, even when you started this, you talked about how we had collaborated in terms of me sharing information and helping you as you're trying to build. And I feel like that's the energy I'm always in. Like there's a more than enough for everybody. We don't need to be in a scarcity mindset. We're all building and we're all creating, we're all growing. And I think that, again, there's even this dynamic of like self-publishing versus like getting traditionally published. There's this whole vibe of like, these people are better and whatever, whatever. And it's like, ah. Sometimes I wish we could shed all the like label needing and like like titles and stuff. And I get it. It's it's nice to be recognized for all your hard work. And I everyone wants that. But I also think that like honoring that like putting a book out into the world is a huge passion project and takes a lot of work and a lot of energy. And it should be honored in any form that it comes in, even if it's not perfect. I feel like it all takes work. And I think that again, I've seen people have ego in those ways about like, oh you haven't been published by the top, the the big five, then you're not on my level or you're not someone that I need to associate with. And I think that's something that needs to be checked and people need to slow the roll because again, even if you look at it in, in a historical context, not everyone's been given those opportunities. We know how many manuscripts actually make it through those doors and actually get picked up. Like let's honor that everyone's on their journey and everyone's going to put their words out into the world the way that they feel like they're able to. If I've done my homework correctly, you're now the author of eight picture books with two more on the way. I want to focus today on your two latest books, Ally Baby Can Be Anti-Racist 
and Keep Dreaming Black Child, which are both beautiful books. But let's begin with Ally Baby Can Be Anti-Racist. And if you don't mind, I want to share two of my immediate thoughts that I had while I was reading it. Anybody that's been listening to my podcast for a while knows that I had Dr. Ibram X. Kendi on to talk about how to be an anti-racist. So when I was reading Ally Baby Can Be Anti-Racist, I thought to myself, like, this is the perfect condensed, like, everything that Dr. Ibram had said, and then somehow you perfectly said it in, I don't know what the word count is. I didn't go through, but like, let's just say it's like 600 words. And I was like, everybody needs to read this book. N- not just, you know, toddlers, preschoolers, elementary age students that we assume picture books are for. This this is a book that everybody needs to read. So that was my first thought. Just that, how did you possibly condense all of this wonderful information into a picture book? And then that second part of it was how awesome will it be when somebody picks this book to read with their child and that they realize as the adult that they can take away and and learn from this book too? Those were my initial thoughts. Why don't you break it down for us and share what it's all about? Yeah, of course. So the Ally Baby series, Ally Baby Can series, um, I was asked by HarperCollins to create these books. Um, they wanted something similar to Avery McCandy's Anti-Racist Baby, and they wanted to create a bigger series. We knew we were going to have an anti-racist. They wanted a feminist. Um, then we decided I love the environment. So I was like, what about an eco-activist one? And then the final, we're working on a LGBTQA or queer ally. And so they give me very free range on it. They're like, this is what we're looking for. We want kids, books for kids. We want them to be educational. And I was like, yes, let's do this. Felt like a good project because I care about all of those things immensely. And I think they're super important. So I started creating them. And you know, as well as I do, that it's really hard to get rhyming books in. Like people will fight you. They will always say, go lyrical. Why don't you do pose or something? And they'll say something else say go a different route don't go rhyming so because this was already a solidified contract i was like i want rhyming i'm gonna get my rhyming books in here yes and girl so, <laughs> and so i got my rhyming books in all four books rhyme and i mean i think that made it sometimes somewhat a little bit more challenging but important i didn't want to shy away from hard words i never have in my classroom when i taught kindergarten we always use the correct terminology because kids can handle it and it's good for them to use the correct words when they're talking about specific things and so i dove right into that and And Anti-Racist was the first book we completed, and it was a very easy one for me. It was probably the smoothest, easiest. Everything got checked by sensitivity readers. Like, everyone went over them as a sensitivity reader and made sure everything was on point and everything made sense. So, yeah, it's really came together. I wanted to make sure that there were diverse bodies and diverse characters within the book. So we made sure that, you know, we have different kids and different looks in the book in that way. Jade Orlando's the illustrator, and I think she did an amazing job on the series. I think that, and I feel like this for all my books, a lot of them, I think they work on multiple levels. And I feel like this for all books. Like like you said, I don't, first of all, I don't think picture books should just be for kids. I think they're for everybody. I think they beautifully put these powerful messages in the simplest form. And I think everybody can receive picture books in that way. And then these books, I feel like we made sure, like, even if the child cannot access the words, 
they can access the pictures. And the pictures speak volumes. And we made sure that everything we were trying to voice in the words that I wrote is illustrated through the pictures. So even if the child is just accessing the pictures, they will understand the concept through that. And we do that, you know, in the classroom all the time, like what's happening in the picture? What can you pull from the picture? What can you um, notice? What do you wonder, you know? And we do that kind of work. And I think that that's just from the pictures alone. Then, of course, we gave a dictionary because we do use all formal terminology like pink tax, all the different things, all these different words that people may not know. And so making sure that people do have formal definitions if they are unsure. But to me, it was really important because this book to me is kind of like the most basic blueprint into stepping into allyship, right? Like that's what these feel like to me, these books. And so I hope that families bring them home. They're reading them to their kids. But yes, like you said, it's not just for the kids. It's very much for family and adults and people in the space to learn from in ways that they can move as allies and step into allyship. And now I want to make sure because I was saying the Ally Baby series, but do you say Ally Baby or do you say Ally Baby? Ally Baby can. Ally yes. Baby. Yeah. Okay, good. I want to make sure I was pronouncing it correctly. Yes. When I first read it, my my daughter has a friend named Ally. So I immediately said Ally. And then I'm like, well, no, it's about being an ally. So it has to be ally. <laughs> yeah. First person who's gotten that. So yes. <laughs> Perfect. Well, can you share a highlight from this book? Maybe it can be a quote or a favorite illustration. Yeah, I think one of the best illustrations, and I think the illustrator as well feels this way, is the picture with the kids eating together, like the table, right? Um, Just because I got to put in some unique food items that are like really in my heart. And so um, if you have not had any of those items, definitely either make them at home or find a place that you can get them from. But I tried to put some unique dishes that are just absolutely delicious um, from the different places in the world that I've experienced because food is magic and it's a beautiful way to connect people. So that's one of them. And then the name, I was like, my name, you know, I simplified my name when I was a very young child because people were not pronouncing it correctly, just particularly uh, white people around in the area where I was were not pronouncing my name correctly. So I decided to say Nasha instead of Nyasha, which is how the, the correct pronunciation of my name. And then when I moved to France to become an au pair after college, my host family was like Nyasha and it like flowed. And I was like, oh, people can do this. Oh, okay. Now I'm stepping back into my name. So anyone who knows me after Paris knows me as Nyasha because I reclaimed my name. And so the picture where the kid is like, I'm just going to call you this name. And the other kid's like, well, that's not my name. My name is this name. And he's like, okay, sorry. And then calls him the correct name. I was like, we have to walk in power in our names and names are important. They are part of a person's identity. And it's crazy because, you know, they'll say that our names are more complex being BIPOC individuals. And I'm like, yeah, but like, think about these complex names of these um, music composers that people have learned and know how to pronounce beautifully. Um, I was like, you can learn how to pronounce our names if you can pronounce those names, because those look nothing like how they're pronounced. You can learn to pronounce our names as well. When I was prepping for our chat today, I was just kind of Googling around and I was looking at a few of the videos where people have read your books online. And I always giggle at those because everybody's doing their best to pronounce everything. And your name was pronounced, I think, like four different ways throughout those videos. And then my name is Bianca Schultz. And most people say here in the US, Bianca, but I go by Bianca. And then because my last name is Schultz, but there's no T in it, everybody says Schulze or 
shuls. Anyway, I always have a little giggle when somebody does one of those live readings of my books online. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I try and like, especially if it goes to the publisher, I'm trying to like, please make sure the pronunciation is correct because I have it on my email signature, like written out phonetically. There's actually this beautiful website. I think it's called teaching.net or something like that, but I have their link in my link tree on my bio and they have a place where you can auditorily pronounce your name so people can do that. And so I have that link right up there ready to go for people because I get it. It's not easy. It's like you need to, like a lot of us are auditory listeners or auditory learners and we need that pronunciation. But I'm like, I am not unaccessible. Contact me and I will help you. I will text you and voice note you my name if you (laughs) want to do that before an interview because that's 100% matters to me and I will do that for you. Yeah, I love it. And then I have to say that the first spread you said about the food, I had picked that as as my favorite spread because it touched a personal note for me. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to read the text from that that page. Ally Baby eats different foods, homemade, by their neighbors. Ally Baby embraces all cultures, a first step toward changed behaviors. And the reason why it really spoke to me is because one of my neighbors, I just love her so much. Her name is Minji, and she grew up in Korea, and I grew up in Australia, and we walked to pick the kids up from school. And we love talking about the, you know, the differences and the similarities. But one of my favorite moments was when she just showed up at my doorstep, and she came with kimchi dumplings. And then an, another time, and I had to write it down because I want to make sure I pronounce it right, the um, kimbap, which is the Korean sea, seaweed rice rolls. Oh, my gosh. They were so delicious. And I would never have probably tried them on a menu, you know. And here she was showing up, sharing some of her food with me. And it was just so amazing. I, I felt really special that she wanted to do that for me, you know. Yes. No, Korean food is my husband and my favorite. We had it served at our wedding. Like, we love Korean food immensely. It's like one of our favorites. Yeah. So, so what impact do you hope that Ally Baby Can Be Anti-Racist has on readers? Yeah. I mean, all my books, I think, like really call for action. Um, I feel like that's just a note through all my books is like, be active in it. I think, you know, what's the commotion in the ocean is asking you to protect our water spaces, walk as a water protector, take care of our environment. I, for me, is asking you to walk in self-love. It's asking you to do daily affirmations and step into that power and make sure that you are honoring yourself and walking in your worth. I Am Somebody is talking about making sure that you realize you are somebody, you have a voice and you can create change and knowing that and stepping into that role. And the Ally Baby series is very evidently asking you to step into this form of allyship, this specific, each one has a specific form of allyship that they're centered around, but stepping into moving in these ways. I mean, again, like I said, These books are just a start. There's so much more to allyship and being a true co-conspirator, but stepping into being more than just a kind person, like stepping into actually doing things that are creating change and building a more equitable and just world. Yeah. Absolutely. I was going to like move right on to the next book, but I just I feel like I can't step past. I can't recall the exact text, but in Ally Baby Can Be Anti-Racist, there's that moment where I think people and I'm going to I obviously can't speak on behalf of all white people, but I think people sometimes get afraid 
of making mistakes, of saying the wrong thing, of of just trying and failing and and not knowing all the right acronyms and the right terms and everything like that. But the truth is that that's part of being anti-racist is that you have to push forward and you have to make a difference and you have to change and you have to be willing to accept when you have made a mistake and you own it. And I think that is was a great part that I took away from Dr. Ibram Kendi's book and from this. And I loved that you had included that to not be afraid to, to make mistakes. We are all going to make mistakes. I was like, that's actively what everything is going to be about. We're all going to walk into making mistakes. It's your reaction in the end, like after realizing the mistake or someone calls you out on it and it's that accountability within that. And so it's basically your reaction and then the accountability aspect because I've made mistakes. I was like, you know, we're all need to work to be anti-racist because just because you're BIPOC, that doesn't make you anti-racist. It's like, the reality is that we all, all need to decolonize. We all need to indigenize because we are in systems that actively promote us being racist, being, um, you know, misogynistic, like our whole society through the patriarchy, through all these different systems is not in alignment with the liberation and everyone being okay. And so we actively have all grown up in these. We've been pretty much programmed in them. Like they talk about the indoctrination. We've all been indoctrinated through these systems. Like what people choose not to teach or choose to teach. Yes, that is indoctrination. And like, what, like when I think of like historically what I was taught growing up in the States, his, like history wise, I didn't know about the Tulsa race massacre. I didn't know about all these different, different historical aspects of my ancestors history that I should know in this country. And these are the kinds of things that, again, you're trying to shape us looking at America in a certain way or viewing Black people in a certain way or viewing this or that in a certain way. And we want the full picture. We want the full story. That's why it's so important. New narratives and all uh, voices are heard right now in stories and making space for that. But yes, it's very much, again, we're all going to make mistakes. It's just honoring that that is part of the process humbling yourself because that ego can come up. And I think sometimes it's hard. I think an example in my family would be Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a day of mourning for a lot of people in this country. Like the first people of this country, it's a day of mourning. And so that's not how I was raised though. And that's not how many of us were raised. And it's only really coming deeply in a more conscious light in our society into question now. And it's something we need to address and think about. And I get it because it's a time of being with family. Like my dad correlates it in, he just has fond memories growing up of Thanksgiving. So that's readjustment was hard for him, but we've had to have sit down chats with the family and say, how can we change what this day looks like? So we're honoring that this is a day of mourning and we are honoring the communities that this day has caused harm for. And we're also making space to still make that time in family. And maybe instead of celebrating Thanksgiving, we're doing, I try and move more into like seasonal living, moving seasonally, um, kind of shedding the Gregorian calendar. And so why don't we just honor the seasons? Why are we not just celebrating fall in general rather than Thanksgiving itself? Let's just do fall on a different day. And we are honoring the seasons, honoring those changes. And on Thanksgiving itself, maybe we're actively doing ally or co-conspirator activities, making sure that we are connecting 
with the indigenous communities of America, making sure that we're buying from those businesses, making sure that we are doing things, uh, making sure we're fighting for land back. We're doing things that are actively supporting those communities. You know, it's work. It's not easy. It's hard conversations. You're going to have ugly cries. Like decolonization is not for the faint-hearted, but it's the only way that our world is going to truly heal and be a more equitable world and just honestly be more truly accommodating of the diversity of the world. Like we've really had a lot of communities who have had to almost shrink their diversity through colonization and through white supremacy. And that should never have been. And so we need to open our minds and acknowledge that, again, decentralizing Christianity doesn't mean we're kicking Christianity off the boat. We're just saying not everyone's Christian. And we don't need to centerize our whole calendar around Christian holidays because there's other people in this world besides Christians. And we need to honor that other people are going to have different walks in terms of what they worship and religion, et cetera. There's so much more to say. It's hard to move on. I would love for you to share with listeners what Keep Dreaming Black Child is all about. Yeah, so Keep Dreaming Black Child is really my love letter to the world in general, but really to Black children, and then in a deeper level to some close friends and family of mine who expressed to me that they felt like they had given up dreams because people had told them that they could not do them. Um, so they had told them that, you know, this was too big or that's not a financially viable job. I'm sure a lot of people have heard that there was just some jobs you just couldn't walk into because it was not financially viable. They gave up on certain dreams, especially creative dreams. It seems like that's a big one where people will say that's just not possible. You weren't going to make it. It's too tough to get in there. And so this book is centered around children not losing those dreams, like those original dreams you have in childhood that just like brought you so much joy. And like, that's what you wanted to be when you grew up. And it was just, you know, you dressed up like that every day, like those kind of dreams just don't lose that. And so the goal is to walk in power in those dreams, don't lose them and stay with them. So yeah, that's really what that book centered around. It was two manuscripts originally, because I had one manuscript that was basically affirmations I wrote for the world, like in terms of what people can voice and say an affirmation of building the world that we need. And then I also wrote um, a book manuscript centered around really dreaming and holding on to your dreams. And my editor was like, can we blend these? And that's how Keep Dreaming Black Child came to be in the world. Yeah. Well, it's such a beautiful ode. I love that it's Specifically, you wrote it with Black children in mind, but it's really a book that everybody can read. It's so beautiful. Um, will you share a highlight from the book? Yeah. First of all, I want to like, obviously, the illustrator is magic. Her name is Sawyer Cloud. Uh, I'm obsessed with her. There's two illustrators that I... It was like, I have, you know, you have your dream illustrators to work with. She was one of them for me. So I'm so blessed. I have three books with her, like two still on their way. And then this one here. Um, And so I 
just am so honored. She has this like whimsical style that like gives me the like Studio Ghibli vibes, like just those feels, those good vibes and whimsical vibes. So I love her work. Um, So the illustrations are just absolutely stunning. And then in terms of like my favorite part of the book, my husband and I love the picture with the little girl with her locks. Um, who's got the megaphone like the locks are so long they are bigger than her they like take up the whole spread so two pages and it's so precious um and it's just such a sweet image and then I also love the spread where there's all these books that are the pathway and so this child is like hopping on these books to go through this magical door and I tried to make sure like originally the illustrator had just put in just kind of like classic I would say classic like I want to say white, but yeah, classic white tales and stories, like they put like Peter Pan and stuff like that, which is not bad, but I wanted stories that like the Black community has seen themselves in that were magical as we were growing up. Um, And so I had her change out those books for those. So I tried to pay homage to some books that were doing that magic like long before we've fully stepped, starting to really step into it now, you know? I don't know if I was just hungry when I read these two (laughs) books of yours, but my favorite spread from this book is the one with the giant food filled table again, (laughs) surrounded by all of the different people in so many different shades of beautiful brown. And the words are, dreams are always worth our time. Our future needs you to keep dreaming. I dream of a world in which those who have more than they need will build a longer table, not a higher wall. And I don't, I just thought that was, that was magical. So thank you for writing it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love communal tables. I think they're so beautiful. Um, That's one of my favorite things to do in summer is to go to the farm to table dinners out in Colorado here. I mean, I've done them. I hope to go to ones that are not in Colorado, like and expand my, you know, experience in that way. But I love communal tables, just meeting new people in that way. Um, And they're normally outside and you're like in the evening under under dusk into the stars. And it's just so beautiful to eat right from the farm, connect with the farmer like it's so gorgeous and that's kind of the vibe I was going for with that gorgeous table because that just I don't know it's just a beautiful way to connect in community obviously over food and then I think outside under these beautiful tables I just think it just brings me a lot of joy to be in those spaces. What are your hopes for Keep Dreaming Black Child? What what do you hope readers take away? Yeah I hope that they take away stepping into whatever career-wise would spark and light up your world. Um, A question I ask a lot of people is, if you didn't have to worry about funds at all, money was not an issue, what would you truly want to be doing in the world? What would you want to be building, creating, doing job-wise? And then I'm like, okay, well, that's probably what you need to be doing. You just need to figure out a way to like make that financially viable to live in the world. And that's challenging in our world because again we a lot of times we're still not paying living wages on things and it's just it's a mess out here but I think that we are in this beautiful space to start building anew I think that if there was ever a time where people could step into things that haven't been done before or things that have been told that this is impossible I think we've seen so much of the impossible happening in the last few years so I say step into it
I want to give you the opportunity to share anything else that maybe you want to leave the listeners with. It could be an upcoming project. It could just be your intentions for today. So is there anything else you want to leave everybody with? Yeah. Okay. There's a couple of things. So I will talk about upcoming projects. And then I actually feel like I'm hearing the call to pull from my tarot deck a card for today. So. Oh, I'm so excited for this. <laughs> first of all, want to acknowledge um, I have my, okay, so Keeping Back Child comes out in December. Um, and then I have in September coming up. Um, that's when um, Alibaba Can Be Anti-Racist comes out, as well as my Oracle deck um, that I wrote with my sister. It's a sister co-created Oracle deck, and it is Elemental Alchemist, and it is centered around the elements. And I wrote water and air, and she wrote fire and earth, and together we wrote spirit. That is something that's coming out into the world. And they both of my decks have journal accompaniments and let me tell you, the journal for the Elements Alchemist is phenomenal. If you're a bullet journey girly, we made like a spiritual bullet journal. It's amazing. I mean, I will say my tarot one's perfect for starters. Like if you're one of those people who's just getting started on journals. And then the bullet journal one is like the next level. It's like ready. It's cute. You color it in things. Like we just, we really did it. It's amazing. Um, the illustrator on both decks is Kamishka Naidu. Um, my friend from high school, we went to high school together in South Africa at Pretoria High School for Girls. And we still stayed connected. And she did an amazing job on both decks. Um, so next year in the summer, my mother-in-love and I wrote a book called Saturday Magic, and that book comes out um, in the summer. And so we're so excited for that. I love my mother-in-love. We're super close. She's amazing. I'm like, she's like, I'm the daughter that she never had. And she just, she feels like I give her the experience of what it would have been like to have a daughter. But we are super connected and spiritually we're very aligned. So that's just awesome. We wrote a book and it's kind of like, we call it a hoodoo story because it's, about dreams in the Black community. I mean, a lot of spiritual communities, but in the Black community specifically, there's a lot of dreaming that happens in terms of like understanding your dreams and what that means. And so this little girl has a dream and she asks her parents what it means. And her mom's like, you got to figure it out. So she spends the whole day trying to figure out what her dream means and going about her day. And it's just a very sweet homage to hoodoo, just like spiritual practices that we are doing and then just like honoring the power of dreams mm, i want to know i want to know now you're gonna make me wait aren't you <laughs> i want to know what the dream means yes i mean i have to get you a copy of the book so that you can read it and we can come back on and talk about it that sounds great <laughs> and then um i wrote a book with my friend again another rhyming one so i'm gonna have another rhyming one this one is awesome it's a Kwanzaa book, which this is crazy because my editor picked this up. Um, she was like, oh my goodness, there's like no Kwanzaa books out here. She was like, the books are like from the 90s. She was like, this is really like crazy that there's like nothing. And she's like, this is such a necessary book. So we wrote a book up for Kwanzaa. It's rhyming. It's lyrical. It's really beautiful. And Sawyer is illustrating it. So it's going to be magical. Um, but we really wanted something that just beautifully embodies Kwanzaa and gets kids excited about Kwanzaa because I feel like kids are hyped about Christmas but it's like we want kids to be excited about Kwanzaa Kwanzaa is really beautiful and we really wanted to showcase the beauty of Kwanzaa so that was really the intention of that book and we hope to expand and make other Kwanzaa items and books and things but this is like kind of our kickoff 
with that. So that's really cool. And that's next, that's next year. That one? That will be 2025. Okay. Okay. We'll wait. We'll wait. We don't want to wait, but we'll wait. Yeah. (laughs) Because we just started illustrations. So it's like still very beginning. It's such a slow process, the children's (laughs) book world. I feel like a lot of people don't realize how, how long it takes from the moment you finish the manuscript to when it actually comes out. Yes. And that's, again, a difference in if you like if you do traditional pub or self-pub, because self-pub, you could do a lot faster. Yes. A lot longer with traditional pub. And then I also am writing, well, I'm working on with Andrew McNeil. So same people who did Poor Party, the Oracle deck, they are going to be publishing. It's going to be more an adult book, but I think I feel like all all people get joy out of these books. It's a seek and find book. So I made a first seek and find book that I had never seen a BIPOC one, like anyone with people of color. So I was like, this needs to exist. So I found this beautiful illustrator online. She's from Austria. And so she she did three samples for me and that's what we pitched it with. And it got picked up and it's gorgeous. It's coming together beautifully. And so we're working on that right now. And so it's going to be an adult book, but I feel like everyone's going to get joy out of this book. It's like, who doesn't like seek and find books? Um, And so, yeah. Kids and adults are going to be able to go through and find um, the different things on the list. Yeah, I just know that those books were really fun for me growing up. And I was just like, I feel like I've never seen diversity in them. I'm like, it literally doesn't exist. I feel like I literally might be the first person creating that. I'm sitting here like (laughs) trying, trying to think. And I, we have a lot of different ones and I, I can't think of any diverse ones. (laughs) So it's like necessary and it's like just the beginning. And I hope I don't feel like it's a copycat because it's like, clearly there's not enough. Like it doesn't exist. So step into it. Um, Although those illustrations are are no joke because they're like, they're going to be a level up in terms of price because it's a lot of illustrating for the person to illustrate. What else? So I'm also working on something with my mother in love. We're working on ancestral money, which is kind of a different realm. It's kind of more into our spiritual, like tarot, Oracle deck vibes. We're going to launch pretty soon. It's like... We give offerings to your ancestors. That's just like kind of the vibe. We leave offerings on the altar, food and different things. And like a lot of people practice ancestral veneration without realizing it. So if you have a place in your home where you have pictures of people who passed away, if you have items, you still wear heirlooms, that's, that's all ancestral veneration. We're all doing it, whether you're conscious about it or not. And food is one of those things when you keep recipe books or you make recipes from people like people you love and you do this or, you know, even buying alcohol that this person liked and just putting like pouring a glass for them. That's all ancestral veneration. And so one of the things you can do in ancestral veneration and offering is giving money so that the ancestors have like this energetic energy to clear karmic debts or to be able to just have energy to be able to do to help you and aid whatever's need is in our world right now, whoever needs it in the family, the whatever. And so again, this is a space where I wasn't seeing enough diversity in the money. There's very few people who have money with Black ancestors on it. So for me, that was something to step into. So I'm working on that right now, finalizing it really. Um, And I want to kick off and launch that and have money that we are consciously venerating people who ancestrally were doing a lot for our community and have done a lot for our community. I also want healing in that. There's some people who are on this money who didn't get the recognition they deserved in this lifetime. An example would be Henrietta Lacks. So she's in your body right now. I can tell you that. She was sick. So she went to John Hopkins and she ended up dying and they took her stem cells without asking her. And her stem cells are able to replicate like they just 
don't stop. They just replicate. So in terms of that, they're used for everything in terms of all vaccines are created from them. Like they are used for all medical industry. There's no level of like putting a number on how much she's aided this world. We all have her in us because we've all had medical help that she has aided through her cells without her consent or her knowledge. And so it is a wild story. And thankfully, slowly people are starting to acknowledge her family. It's crazy because her family still struggles with medical bills and has medical um, issues with paying their medical bills and has like that, that's something that they should never yeah. have to worry about in no. life, considering the what her fa- what she's done for this world with her cells. And so they've never been compensated. I was like, there is a book about her, but I really honestly could not read it. I got super bothered by I'm sorry, dedications are important to me now being an author. And so when I read the dedication, she did not put in her dedication to Henrietta Lacks and you're writing about her life like that really bothered me because it's such an ancestral piece of work you know and so it really bothered me that she didn't acknowledge Henrietta Lacks and all that she's done and like just honor her as an ancestor in that dedication she did she dedicated to like some family member of hers which I was like this is weird okay it's really important um story and so she's on the money for example in healing for her and acknowledging all she's done and also I like put the energy of like not having the same harm that happened to her happen in her lifetime or having things taken of our consent medically come forth. So there's a lot of levels to my ancestral money, but it's healing and then honoring and venerating these ancestors. And then also you can do an asking of what you need and your intent around them based off the energy that that ancestor brought forth into the world. I like, I feel like your, your brain just must be constantly creating new things. And I don't know how you streamline and decide which project to work on next, but. It's hard. I mean, and this is why I like a lot of, I love co-authoring and that's why co-authoring is like big for me. And I step into that deeply because co-authoring is first of all, just a beautiful space. It's lovely to co-create with people. I feel like you just get this beautiful synergy and I think it's going to help us build narratives that are stronger because if you have somebody else coming in with their opinions, their thoughts, their version of how they see the world through their lens, I just think it's going to make a stronger narrative. Yeah. And so I'm very much about that. And so that helps me when I step into projects is like, sometimes I'll be like, oh, this project definitely needs to come forth. I definitely ask my ancestors what needs to come next, but also Sometimes I see somebody, I'm like, oh, this person feels like they're really good to help me build this. And so that helps a lot. But yeah, I mean, the other huge thing that I'm working on is I am working to build my own publishing company. I've heard the call. I feel like, you know, I'm not getting everything I'm wanting from the publishing world. Um, As much as I'm grateful for what I've received and the success that I've had so far, I'm hearing the call to step into building something that feels perfectly in alignment for me in terms of publishing and putting work out there. So that is what I'm working on now. Yeah, because you know if it's per- perfectly in alignment for what you need, that it's also going to be in alignment in alignment for what others need. Well, Niasha, you had that tarot deck and I like next oh, yes. to you. And I feel yeah. like it's calling my name and I want to know what the card of the day is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Let me do a quick cleanse. All right. So it's the four of wands. And I love to read my sections because I feel like that I'm the author. So I wrote it, but I will say this is definitely about stability and a good foundation is what I'm hearing. 
today. So let me pull up the four of wands. All right. <clears throat> Four ones. Harmony and celebration are the traits. Hard description. A couple showcases the synchronicity through balance and strength while exercising and working together. The four ones is about honoring your growth to this point. Stand back and look at how far you've come. The card is calling to celebrate all the little wins you've enjoyed throughout your lifelong voyage. Take pride in your growth, development, and alignment. The couple lives their life confidently, knowing they are breaking generational curses, building roots and generational wealth, all while grounding in living authentically. They show appreciation to their ancestors by creating a solid work-life balance and making time to rest and honor those who are unable to in the past. Pause and take time to admire where you are in the moment. There are so many reasons to celebrate. Work can begin again tomorrow. In Yang. Commitment, moving into a place to set roots, strong ancestral connection, home. In Yin, problems, conflicts within the immediate family, division in the family, sickness, money difficulties. Aligning, host and neighborhood gathering. Hmm. I feel like that card was kismet i mean especially like host a gathering with food and the illustrations i picked twice today were that too oh man i'm gonna have to get your uh tarot deck i think <laughs> i appreciate the support niasha thank you for being authentically you and demonstrating what it looks like to live your calling i'm grateful for you your time and your books and just thanks in general for being on the show today. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you having me and bringing me into the space. And I love talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order copies of Ally Baby Can Be Anti-Racist and Keep Dreaming Black Child. Niasha invites you to visit her at niashawilliams.online. This link's in the show notes too. And remember, if you love listening to the Growing Readers podcast, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Chromecast, Spotify, or anywhere else you enjoy listening. Be sure to follow the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To find more books just like Ally Baby Can Be Anti-Racist and Keep Dreaming Black Child, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.